You know, each week as I share God's Word with you, uh, many times I'll think about, uh, consider just the lives and the homes that are here represented. And, and a lot of times I'll wonder, you know, God, what's going on in everybody's life? What are, the, what are the challenges that they're facing? Some of you right now are facing some financial difficulties. And, and right now you're trying to stay focused on God. You're trying to worship Him. You're trying to have a positive attitude. But you know next week, I, I'm just not sure if the ends are going to meet. If financially, our family can make it. Some of you right now are real concerned about your children, aren't you? Your children are growing up and they're making choices and, and you just want to see them have the best in life. You want to see them follow God. You want to see them make the right choices. Or some of you right now, your marriages, the communication's not there and that's bothering you. That's weighing heavy as it should on your heart. And I know for many people, with so many things going on in our lives, with so many things to think about, sometimes... What God is up to in our lives or in this world just doesn't seem to go very high up on the priority list, does it? We have a sense that God is doing something, and we have a sense that that, that, that should be important to us. But many times, practically speaking, that sense is about as far as it goes. Well, that's one of the reasons we come to church. I want to commend you for being here today because you know you have a sense that there's a bigger perspective than your own, don't you? So I'm glad that you're here. And I want to say to you that it's our commitment as a church family. God speaks to those real needs. He speaks to how to communicate with your spouse. He speaks to how to raise your children, how to encourage them with wise decisions. He speaks to our finances and all those things. And we talk about those things in our messages, in our Bible studies, and in those kind of, with those kind of opportunities. But I'm also glad that we come to church because sometimes God talks to us about things that we probably wouldn't have thought of if we hadn't come to church. And that's kind of one of the things that I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about having a passion for God's work, having a passion for God's work. And today I don't believe that God has called me to challenge you to quote, get more involved in church. That's not the point of this message today by any stretch of the imagination. I believe what God has called me is to share His heart with you about something that's very important to Him, so important that uh, it's mentioned actually in each one of the Gospels. It's one of the, the few things that's mentioned all four in all four of the Gospels. It describes Jesus with a passion. We might even say an anger because you get angry about the things that are important to you, don't you? But they describe these stories, these passages, and the one that we're going to look at today show us Jesus with an especially high degree of passion unlike any other place in the Scriptures. It might be surprising to some of you that are new to your Bible. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, it says, The Passover of the Jews was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords, he made a whip, and he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. And then in verse 17, it says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. 
The Bible says that this passage that we're reading here, this story in the life of Christ, was during the Passover time. If you want to read more about the Passover, you can look back in Exodus chapter 12 and the chapters that follow that for the background of that. It would have been during the month of April, and Jesus, like all Jewish males, had, go, had gone up to Jerusalem to be a part of that feast. And when he went to the feast, he went to the temple, the Bible says. Now the temple, and some of you may be aware of this, maybe others uh, have never heard about the temple. The temple was the focus of worship for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people. Later, through Christ, God was going to change that focus. He was going to transition the idea of the temple or the holy place or the sanctuary from the idea of a building to being more located where? In our hearts in our bodies. In fact, you see that hinted at in this passage, even in verse 21. But at this point in history, the focus of worshiping God among His people was at the building called the temple. In other words, the primary symbol in this world of God's work in the world was the temple of Jerusalem. If there was one place that you could go to and hope that you would find God's way being accomplished, God's message going forth, God's way being represented to the world, you would have expected to find that at the temple in Jerusalem. But when Jesus showed up that day, that is not what He found. And He was very passionate about that. I want us to look at that response that Jesus had. I want us to ask ourselves this question this morning. Am I as passionate about God's work in this world as He is? Am I passionate about the work that God is doing in this world? And if I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to realize if I'm following Jesus, I should be going where He's going, right? If He has a passion for this, it ought to be something that at least is on my radar screen at the very least. So let's think about that together. The first thing I want to think about is in verses 14 through 16. What was it that Jesus was so passionate about. In verses 14 through 16, we see what began to unfold there. And let me describe the scene just a little bit. Jesus Christ, God Himself in the flesh, was walking on this earth as a human being, walking amongst those. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Him? Walking amongst those that He Himself created. And He comes to the place, the one place especially, in this world that He should have been able to find true worship. People seeking Him, people serving Him, and people sharing Him with others. But what did Jesus find? Livestock. <laughs> he found animals running around. He found birds flying around the temple. He found bankers and brokers with tables and booths set up all over the place. What on earth was going on? People would come to Jerusalem from all over to celebrate the Passover. And when they got there, they would have brought their, the, these animals that would have been sacrificed to the Lord on behalf of their sins. Well, somewhere along the way, there's always an entrepreneur somewhere in the bunch, isn't there? Somewhere along the way, somebody got the idea, hey, let's make it easy on these people. Instead of having to load up the kids in the mini camel or whatever they rode on, <laughs> instead of having to load the kids up and, the, and to bring them all the way across wherever they're coming from, and then on top of that, having to load up all your animals, why don't we just provide the animals for your convenience right here? Now, in principle, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I can tell you as much as I have to load up in my van, <laughs> I'd be glad if somebody had something when I got there. But that's probably uh, thinking a little naively about it. Knowing human nature, if someone came up with the idea of providing the sacrifices, 
What do you think their idea was for? Do you think it was to help people or do you think it was to make a buck? Yeah, especially when the animals were pretty much raised to the price of a great escape soda. <laughs> Along with that, even if people did bring, no offense if you work at the Great Escape, especially those people on TV. I love the Great Escape. Right. <laughs> I'll never get in for free again. <laughs> All right, just kidding. All right, let's get focused here again. But even if somebody did bring their own sacrifices, many people believe that the priests were part of this deal. So when the people would bring their sacrifice, if you know the history, they were supposed to bring a sacrifice without blemish. Okay, so you can imagine what would happen. The priest would stand there, somebody would bring their sacrifice, and he would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I know you've come so far. You brought your family. You brought all these, these sacrifices with you. But unfortunately, your sacrifice has a blemish. But have I got a deal for you? Right over here, for your convenience, we have provided plenty of acceptable sacrifices. Now, with the possibility, some say, of over 200,000 sacrifices being made during that time, that translated into big bucks. The priests, the religious leaders, and merchants all around town were making a killing. And that's a good way of putting it. When you think about what was happening, they were making a killing off of people who were coming to worship God. Some say they were charging it as, as much as ten times the amount of what those animals should have cost. In addition to all that, there were bankers or money changers there. Can you imagine coming to God's house and we have a banker here? We have a table set up. Would you like to exchange your money? We only accept certain kinds of money. There was a temple tax and they had to pay it in a certain kind of money. And so obviously coming from these different areas, they had to transfer their money, their coinage into something that the, the temple would accept. And oh, by the way, we can do that for you here too for a small fee. For as much as 25% on top of their exchange. Now, let's don't forget, where are we at today? Well, it's what we would call church. Basically, at church, there was noise, there was commotion, there was distraction. People were getting taken at church. Can you imagine the bad taste that must have put in people's mouth? Can you imagine coming to church this morning, having a sense in your heart that there's some sense that I need to be in God's, in God's house, I need to be worshiping Him. Uh, I need to be where, where I can seek the Lord and where He's being shared and I can hear from Him. But you resented that? Because you know when you get there, somebody's going to take all your money? They're going to take advantage of you? When Jesus went to the one place that was supposed to be doing God's work, He expected to find worship, undistracted worship, untainted worship. People looking for Him and people sharing Him. But that's not what he found. Instead, he found unnecessary busyness and he found unethical business practices. Instead of people being helped, instead of people being pointed to God, people in the place that was known as God's house, can you imagine, were getting taken advantage of. And they were actually not not just not being pointed to God, they were actually being intentionally pointed away from God. And that is something that I want us to understand Jesus takes very seriously. Look at his reaction in verse 15. Now, a lot of times, don't you love these pictures of Jesus, rosy cheeks, almost like he's got lipstick on. You almost see the wind blowing his hair. He looks like a model. 
It looks like a girl. I mean, many times, Jesus was a man. He was a man's man. And he shows that here in these verses. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he's tender with us. But don't get the wrong idea. Jesus was a man's man. And in verse 15, he took a whip. And he drove all of the people out of the temple. He wasn't afraid is what I mean by that. He drove all the people out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured the coins of the money. He was upset. He wasn't afraid to, to, to deal with something, to confront something. He poured the money out and he overturned the tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a place of business. When His work is being done in this world, Jesus' intention is that it would result in people seeking Him, finding Him, serving Him, sharing Him with others. How many times have I heard of churches that are better known for bingo or raffles or the good cakes they make or the good fried chicken they make instead of a place of hope and healing and as a place where people can meet with God? How many times are churches better known for that? God forbid. And instead of us pointing our finger at some other arbitrary church uh, in our minds here, let's talk about us. What are we known for? How do people know about us? What is the testimony that we have in our community? How many times have I heard of groups going on mission trips when really all it was was just a glorified sightseeing trip that they were using God's money for? That happens. Hey, let's go serve the Lord uh, one afternoon amongst three of seeing the sights in this great place that we're going to. What about us? Why do we go on mission trips? How often do our lives, which by the way, if you are a child of God, the best application of what we're talking about today is your life. If you are a child of God, the Bible says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can make application of church and the things that we do here, but the best application of what Jesus is talking about in these verses is your body. How often is my life and the actions of my life, how often can it be described as anything but seeking and sharing Christ? Well, that mattered to Jesus, so what did He do? The Bible says that He cleaned house. <laughs> and I wonder today if that's what God wants to do in some of our hearts today. Let's go back to that question. Is our church known primarily for seeking and sharing God? I think so. I hope so. But I want you to know if we have Jesus' heart for the rest of our history, we're going to be evaluating God. Let us check ourselves. Are we still doing what you called us to do? Amen? We won't get proud. We won't get air. Oh, of course. We, oh, of course. That's how churches get off track. We need to, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, are we, are we staying focused with what you gave us to do? When we go on a mission trip, do we remember why we're there? You know why we go on a mission trip? Is to seek the Lord and to share Him with others. Same thing we do here. We just load up and go somewhere else and do it to help somebody else. That's what a mission trip should be all about. All along this mission trip, we just got back from New Orleans, and I had to keep checking myself. God, what are my motives? What are my priorities? Is this my way or is this your way? God, uh, seeking Him, calling out to Him, asking Him for His direction, reminding me that, that my purpose in stopping at a gas station wasn't to get a payday and a Coke. My purpose in stopping at that gas station was that I believe God was strategically guiding our steps from here to New Orleans, and there was somebody at that store that needed to hear about the Savior today. But I had to remind myself that. 
constantly because we're prone to get off track, aren't we? What about your life? What about my life? If my life truly is to be the temple of God's Spirit, is my life, is your life primarily known and characterized by seeking God, by a heart for God, by listening to God, by being sensitive to God, and by sharing Him with others? You see, one of the reasons the temple was so beautiful, was so ornate, was so majestic, and and I won't give you the description of the temple today, but it was a massive structure. It was a beautiful structure. And one of the reasons for that was so that the world would look to that place and see that that is where God lives. That is where God dwells and where He would be sought by people and where His message would be proclaimed and sent forth out of that place. Is that how your life can be described? Let me ask you this. Is God's kingdom advancing in this world as a result of your life? That's a big statement, isn't it? Is God becoming more famous among Queensbury and Glens Falls and South Glens Falls and Lake George and Hudson Falls and Fort? Is God becoming more famous across our area because your life exists on this earth and God is living and dwelling and shining forth from His temple? What was Jesus so passionate about? He wanted people to find God. And it disturbed him when the place that was supposed to be doing that not only hindered that work, but actually was blocking it, was hurting it. So that's what Jesus was passionate about. But let's, let's think about this question in verse 17. Why was Jesus so passionate about this? In verse 17, it tells us his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I'm glad to know the disciples read their Bible, aren't you? <laughs> they said, oh, I think I remember a scripture about that. And they saw Jesus doing this. Psalm 69 was what they were talking about. And we've really been hinting around it at the whole time. But look at what the disciples picked up on. Many people had been to this temple, the temple in Jerusalem. Many people had seen what was going on. But for some reason, up until that point... Nobody had done anything about it. Whether it was casual observers, whether it was people that had tried to go and worship there and got frustrated because they couldn't, or God forbid, whether it was because leaders who allowed it to continue and not only allowed it to continue, but encouraged it continuing because they wanted a bunch of money out of it. Nobody had ever said, this has to change. Why was it that when Jesus Christ walked in the temple... He was so passionate about what was going on. The Bible says that Christ had zeal for God's house, and that zeal consumed him. Now, we started the message. I said, there are some things in your life that I'm sure that all of us have concerns, and those are valid concerns. Those are real concerns that God wants to help us with. How many of you, though, would say, hey, that situation with my kids or that, that problem with my spouse or our finances, well, that has gotten so real to me, so critical to me, that I would almost say that it's consuming me. It's just kind of uh, penetrating almost every area of my life. That's how important it is. Is so important that it overrides almost anything else. But how many of us could say, like Jesus, that what God is doing in this world, how God is being represented to the world, 
whether his message is going out in clarity, in sincerity, in a way that people can understand it and respond to it, whether people are truly seeing who Christ is through his work in this world. How many of us could say that like Jesus, that is what consumes us? That our one of, if not our greatest passions in life is that God is accurately represented in this world through my life. Well, if you're like me, you might respond back, well, yeah, but you're talking about Jesus. I mean, of course, that's going to be His consuming passion. He's God. I mean, that's what He does, right? You can't expect that from me. I have other things I have to be focused on. Well, there's some truth to what we would say there because Psalm 69 actually does say that there's a special sense in which that is true of the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Psalm 69 gave the indication that the Messiah would have a passion, a special passion for the work of God, obviously. But I want to challenge you about that just a little bit. Certainly God recognizes the challenges that you and I face. He knows the responsibilities. He knows the commitments that we have to fulfill. But I want to encourage you not to put what we're saying here in opposition to those things. What I want to encourage you to begin to think about is, is that if God's work in this world becomes the priority of your life, that helps to take care of all the other concerns that you have in your life. You see, as a pastor, I don't feel like my role is to say, hey, I know you guys are busy, but I've got this thing I'm doing called, you know, like church, and I need y'all's help. And so could you like give me a piece of your pie? Could you give God, please, a piece of your pie? That's not our approach here. The approach is I'm just God's messenger. This is not my deal. It's His deal. And I'm just saying your life, all those pieces that you're looking at, God's not a piece of that. He's the pie. He's the pie cutter. And nothing else is really going to work right until I begin to have the same passion that Jesus Christ has. Boy, it's powerful to think about what I believe God's saying here in these verses. And it's reflected in a passage that is a little bit unclear sometimes, but I think uh, hints at uh, some of what we're getting at here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Great passage. I love the book of Hebrews. I encourage you. It's a challenging book to read, but it's a powerful book to read. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 says, Therefore, when He comes into the world, it's talking about Christ, when He comes into the world, He says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. <clears throat> In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Christ saying to the Father, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Now again, those verses are a little bit confusing, but I believe as you begin to look at it a little more closely, what it's saying is this. Christ assumed, if we can put it in our language, okay, in a, in a way that we can understand. Christ assumed that if the Father sent Him to the earth in a body, guess what that body was supposed to be for? To do the will of the Father. Hey, can I give you a little clue? If God gave you a body, and I think most everybody here is in one. <laughs> I know your body's here. I don't know about the inside. Sometimes the eyes glaze over. But I think everybody's here in their body. If you are here in a body, you can go ahead and assume God wants His work to be accomplished through that body. The primary purpose for your body is to fulfill the purposes of God. 
Everything that Christ did in his human body was for that purpose. That was his driving force, so much so that you could say that it consumed him. In fact, the disciples, when they saw Jesus' reaction that day, it didn't surprise them because they knew Psalm 69, and they knew that zeal or passion for God's house and the work that went forth from that house was something that was going to saturate the life of the Savior. What are we saying about Jesus? Why was he so passionate? Jesus had something in this. He was engaged. God's work meant something to him. He wanted God's work in this world to be something special. And when God wasn't being accurately represented, that bothered Jesus. Do you hear that? When God wasn't being accurately represented by those who claimed to be his servants, that bothered Jesus. If we are Jesus' followers, we're going to have the same passion to make His work all that it can be. You know, many times uh, people will come to pastors, and I, we've had this happen sometimes in our church family. They'll come to their pastor and they'll say, Hey, pastor, hey, listen, you know, when I came to this church, I was really hoping that this church would do blank. They had something in mind. I was hoping that this church would eventually do blank. Or, hey, pastor, I, I was really hoping that this church would be something, whatever that was. But unfortunately, i got to tell you, it hasn't been. Now, I want to tell you, as a spiritual leader, as someone who, who has responsibility for what God is doing in this church, man, that concerns me. I take note of that. And as much as is true in that statement, and sometimes it's, you know, there's other factors, but if there's truth in what they're saying, I want to do everything I can to make God's family all it can be. And I use that insight to help with that. But can I tell you something? Sometimes when people say, boy, I was really hoping it would be this, or I was really hoping this would happen, do you know when they're saying that? On their way out the door. I'm just saying, huh. Okay, I'm missing something here. I, my bottom line assumption is, is that this place wants to be all that God wants it to be. Now, we might be missing some things, but if we are, we're not on purpose, Right? We're just missing them. We do. We miss things. So if you saw a place where they honestly desire to be God's people and they weren't doing all that maybe God wanted them to do, would you bail out or would you get in there and make it all that it could be? That's what Jesus did. He did something about it. When he was disappointed in his house, he didn't leave it. He did something about it. Now, be careful that doesn't mean that next week, just because you don't like the way the lights are turned on or something like that, you come in turning over tables, okay? That's not what this is talking about. By the way, this was Jesus' house, not yours. It's not mine. But it does say this, that if, if I care about God being sought, if I care about God being shared from this body of people called, not just this building, this isn't a temple, this is just a resource, but this body of people called New Hope, if that's the case, in my church family, I will be engaged in that. I'll be a part of the solution. I'll be a part of making it all that God wants it to be. It ought to grieve us. It ought to bother us if we go to a church and we see that God's... Let's say you visit a church somewhere and you see that God is not being honored. Does that bother you? Would it, would it hurt you? Would it grieve you? Now, let's be careful. I'm not talking about a critical spirit. Don't go into some other church and say, Oh, he doesn't dress like our pastor. Oh, they don't sing songs. Oh, they... Oh, Listen... There's a lot of Christians running around like that, aren't they? High and mighty, condescending, know-it-alls. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're saying is, 
The idea that it hurts us, it bothers us to see that God is not being honored somewhere. And it's not so much, and even though you could depict it in an anger kind of way, we certainly see a level of anger in Christ here. But actually, I believe the context of Psalm 69, which is quoted, actually leans less towards anger and more towards sorrow, more towards brokenness, which is certainly safer from our point of view. We're more likely to sin in anger than we are in brokenness. Amen? That consuming idea, zeal for God's house was going to consume the Messiah, that has the idea of something that deeply affects you, something that wears on you, something that causes you to waste away. Now, actually, it's perfectly fulfilled in Christ. Ultimately, zeal, passion for God's work to go forth in this world did what to Christ? Sent Him to the cross. He literally fulfilled that. Zeal for God's work consumed him. It took every drop of his life. It took his blood being shed for us. And I think that that model, Christ's model, helps us to have the right attitude about it. It's not that we arrogantly go around trying to straighten out our church or straighten out everybody else's churches like some Christians do, but that it bothers us, it hurts us, it grieves us if we see God's house not being what it's supposed to be. And that we would offer our lives like Christ as humble servants to give ourselves to make it all that it can be. It reminds me of Ephesians 5 verse 25 that I referenced earlier. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. That's the attitude that we would have. So I need to ask you something. Do you have an intense desire to see God made known in this world? Do you have a desire? Do you have a passion that people would know Christ, would truly know God for who He is, how He's revealed Himself in His Word, a God of holiness and a God of righteousness, but yet a God of kindness and patience and forgiveness? Do you desire for people to know and to understand God, not in, like I said, a self-righteous way, but in a broken way? Is that a driving passion of your life? Or are you depending on somebody else to make that happen? Are you taking ownership in God's work being all that it can be through this church family and all across this world, to, the much, to as much as it lies within your power. Again, that question, how much is God's kingdom extending in this world as a result of you being on planet Earth? Isn't that a good question? How is God's fame growing across this area because you are alive and you live here and you're participating in God's work? I'm not saying that everybody here has to be a door-to-door, knock on people's door, leading people to Christ. There's lots of different ways to serve the Lord, okay? So don't get any mindsets in your mind about what that is or what that isn't. Just answer the question. Is God's truth, is God's kingdom, is God's way being shared with others across the nations even? That was really the purpose of His house. That it would be a house of prayer for all the nations. That's shown in some of the other Gospels in the same, with, some, with a similar incident. God's purpose was that His place would be a house of prayer, a place where people seek Him for all the nations because He would be shared with the whole world. Now, some of us here today, what I've been sharing is quite a challenge for you, isn't it? You say, Robbie, I'm going to be honest with you. It sounds good, 
by my kids and the decisions they make, and that's saturating me. Right? That's consuming me. My finances, I mean, this is good and all, but it can probably wait till next week, but I got that bill that's due next Friday. That's consuming my life right now. Listen, I understand if what we're talking about today maybe shoots a little bit farther than what you were expecting to go today, but can I just say something to you? You're going to have to trust God on, not me. You're going to have to trust God on this, but I can tell you something. Everything else in your life will never be quite right until you begin to have the perspective that Christ has. You begin to surrender your will to His. You've got an agenda, even though it may be a good agenda, even though it may seem right to you. You've got a thought process about where your life should go, what your priorities should be. But Christ is challenging you today, just like He did in the temple. Can I come in and clean up the house a little bit? Can I change some things around? Is that okay with you? What I'm really trying to say and using just kind of symbolic language to say it is, are you willing to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Some of us in this room today probably have never done that. Friend, I want to tell you something. The Bible says that we are all in need of a Savior. None of us can make it home. None of us can find life, true life, without surrendering our will to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. He died for you on that cross. It was not just, just to be an example. It was not just to do something nice or to, to, to say, hey, why don't the rest of you lay down your life too? Jesus actually paid for something. He paid for your sins. He paid for my sins. He died in my place. And He wants to make a transaction. He wants to deposit into your bank account all of His righteousness And He wants to take all of your sins and all your mistakes and your failures and the mess-ups and blunders in your life and He wants to deposit them in His bank account. But you've got to be willing to trust Him. This morning, someone came forward and said, I came to the point in my life that I knew I had never trusted in Jesus. I had prayed a prayer before, but I had never trusted in Jesus. Are you willing to lay your life in the the hands of Jesus Christ this morning? He's passionate about you. The reason He stormed into that temple was because He loves you and He wanted you to know who He really is, not the garbage that was happening in and through His house. He loves you that much, friend. You know, as some of us Christians, we look at the temple and we say, I would have never let that happen. You know, I would have never have allowed that to happen in my life, in my church, in my home, whatever. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it hasn't gone that far. But maybe you've taken some steps in that direction. Maybe God's correcting that tonight, to this morning. Maybe God's speaking to your heart about some things that are leaning you. You didn't mean to. You didn't realize it. But today, God's just uh, putting His finger on some things in your life that's moving you away from having the same passion that He has. Maybe some other things have slipped up the priority list in your life and God's wanting to speak to you about that today. We are so prone to get off track, aren't we? Amen, anybody? I mean, give me about 30 minutes after this message and I'll be doing something dumb. I'm telling you, that's the way I am. Unless I keep my eyes on Jesus. Has God redirected your path today and said, "Uh uh-oh, we almost got off track this week. Would you seek Him? Would you? Maybe this morning you need to come down front and just pray and say, God, oh, thank you, God. Thank you that you led me to church. I almost slept in this morning, but thank you. You redirected my perspective because I was getting off track. Maybe you need to just talk to God right where you stand here. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. You need to talk to God just right where you stand. You can just close your eyes. You can keep them open. Just talk to Him. 
Maybe you need to talk to somebody else, and I'm going to be down front. Several came last night, some this morning, saying that God was working their heart. Maybe you need to do that. We won't publicly share all your faults and failures and everything that you share. We won't, we won't do that. But some of you may need to share something public. Somebody here has accepted Christ, and you need to let somebody know about that. We want to give you that opportunity right now. Are you willing, like Jesus, to get engaged? <laughs> Should I even quote a high school musical? <laughs> to get your head in the game, amen? <laughs> Dear Lord, what's it come to? <laughs> Are you willing to take ownership in what God is doing in this world? You know what? There are some people here this morning that have been coming for weeks maybe months, maybe years, and God is saying to you, why don't you just stick a flag in the ground and say, this is my home. I'm a part of this church family. I'm with you. You can count on me. Let's go. I want to make it all that I can for God. We need you. Because there are so many people that need the Lord. Some of you, God's saying, why are you waiting about baptism? What is holding you up? Yeah, you're scared to stand up in front of a bunch of people. I understand that. I'll give you strength for that. But do not be ashamed of me. Let others know that you identify yourself completely with what I did for you on the cross. Boy, I know standing in a tub of water is kind of embarrassing, but look at what it represents. Jesus shed His blood for you, publicly humiliated and beaten, His body marred beyond being able to recognize His face anymore. That's what that represents. For me to get in a tub of water and say, I identify completely with Jesus Christ is very easy, isn't it? So I want to challenge you to take that step of faith today. Whatever God's saying to you, how is His kingdom moving forward in this world as a result of your life today? Maybe even just sharing what He's doing in your heart today will bless somebody else right now in this service and help them to take a step forward if that's what God leads you to do. Let's talk to Him about that right now.